were going to edit that part, right? Oh, <laughs> The mic was off. Now it's on. Check, 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 check. Get my microphone looking beautiful here. Feels good to be back at home. This is the ATP podcast around the post. It's your boy Jay with Mark Figueroa. And it is a Carlos Alcaraz episode. Episode 116. I feel very satisfied. I'm in a good mood. My shoulders feel light. No weight on my shoulders. I had a little stress in my back when I was watching US Open this year. You know, a little tension in my neck. It could have went really badly or very well if you're a tennis fan. Um, how are you feeling after the whole U.S. Open? How do you feel overall? It was a very good U.S. Open. Yes, it was. It was very good. Uh, very good matches, intriguing matches. Uh, it, it was good, for sure. Okay, man. Well, obviously, there's quite a bit to dig into um, as far as the past week's been and the up-and-coming weeks. So uh, where are we starting today? So first, I'd like to give a shout-out to... Krishkova uh, and uh, Sinyukova, who have the career Grand Slam, and they beat uh, Katie McNally, <laughs> who was dumped by Coco Goff, and um, uh, what's her name? Townsend. Mm-hmm. Now, Townsend had a big fallout with the USTA, and mm-hmm. they stopped backing her. So, for her to make it back to the a doubles final, I just wanted to give her a quick shout out. And she's playing well again. So, talk um, to me about uh, why they had a fallout. Do you have any information on that? Uh, I don't have a lot. All, all I know is that uh, there was a. Uh, it was like the Donald Young thing mm-hmm. with they they were, they expected a lot of them, mm-hmm. and they sort of just fell out. Yeah, I was talking to one of our actual listeners today about. Um, that whole that final and stuff like that shout out to diane one of our listeners um and she was saying that she did a little bit of extra research on it and found out that they were denying her a singles wild card right due to her lack of weight loss and some expectations they made for her yes um despite her her past accolades and what she's done for the sport and stuff like that and so she she went into doubles with a chip on her shoulder for yes. sure, and, and so did Katie McNally. Yeah, being dumped by Coco Goff. So that's a that's the chip on the shoulder doubles team. They had yes. a lot of vengeance and anger, and and <laughs> they and they proved themselves. So yeah, quick shout out to them for sure. Awesome, and um, we're gonna get to the WTA ranking, the high one. So Coco Goff enters the top 10 she has a number eight in the world it's a career high beautiful uh what are your thoughts on her and what do you think of her performance at the u.s open um her performance at the u.s open to me was characteristic um if that's a fair thing to say obviously we know that she's she's a creature of consistency as of late so i was i was expecting her to hopefully have a breakthrough this year um, if there was any form of an upset or if her draw completely opened up, but obviously, um, she kind of did what she does, you know, third round, fourth round quarters, you know, she's just, she's always doing that. And I'm waiting for that moment where there's just a huge breakthrough for her because it seems like she's known for just good runs all year, all year, all year, all year. And it's just funny because we see people come after her 
surpass her and then fall behind her again on the blink of an eye while she continues this very slow climb upward so i'm really happy for her i think we spoke about this uh in a recent episode about how once she does make it to that peak top there won't be anything to worry about falling back down because she's so she's been so steady she knows what it's like to be a top 30 a top 20 a top 15 a top 10 now she understands what it requires to maintain these rankings and just slowly protect it and build upon that so i think that she'll continue to go upward and i can't say she's going to become better than iga but i can say that she will be a threat to most of the wta i was extremely disappointed how badly she performed against caroline garcia she tore her up yeah so that was extremely disappointing but at least caroline garcia backed up her summer so that was great mm-hmm. although in the semifinals that happened in the wta a lot unfortunately in the semifinals uh Ange jabor just took it to her and uh unfortunately Ange jabor didn't really show up against Iga. yeah so it's sort of um it's as if who's really going to challenge Iga, which yeah. is sad. But uh, we have some um, uh, a Hall of Famer making an interesting observation. Hmm. Maria Sharapova uh, was in the booth, and she made a very interesting observation. She said, no offense to today's players, mm-hmm. but they're not as good as six years ago. She said, if a 40-year-old Serena is beating the number two player in the world, They the WTA now is, is not as good as it was five, six years ago. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Sharapova's comments? Um, Her comments are a little unfair because technically speaking, she could never handle Serena in her prime. So is she saying that she's only as good as the tour is right now? That's a good question because, as you just stated, she can never handle Serena anyway either. Yeah, you know, she never figured out that puzzle. I want to say their record's like 2-13 and 13 or something crazy yeah, it, like that. Yes, big. Extremely lopsided. And on top of that, we, we can't really compare the greatest player of all time in tennis to the rest of the tour. You just can't really do that. Um, I will agree with Sharapova in regards to... We are, we're barely for the first time in quite a bit seeing true consistency from a champion in the WTA. And you need a, some form of a pillar to kind of carry the sport, even if it's just one player who dominates. But you need someone to do it. And we found that in Iga this year specifically. And I think that's a plus. But I just want to kind of state, you know, are you saying Iga, who has three slams in the same era that Serena's been a part of, is she a better player than Sharapova already? I would say so. You know, did Sharapova ever have a year like this in her career? No, she never had a year like this. To me, that was sort of a backhanded compliment. What, what was she saying by saying a 40-year-old Serena was beating the number two player? Yeah, I I don't understand. I get what Sharapova was trying to say. I really <clears throat> I really do. Yeah, Excuse so- me. But yeah, I I can't fully agree with that. Serena Williams... Still, she's not so old that she can't swing the racket the way she always has. Right. She is in good health. And also, the presence of the greatest of all time being on the other side of the court is not something to underestimate. Right. I'm sorry. It's just not. You know, let's look at the men's side. Look at the big three. Nadal won how many of the slams this year? Two. 
the big three won three of the four slams this year. Right. Is men's tennis complete garbage? No, it's not. You know, we have Hall of Famers actively on the tour right now that are 19 years old. You know, he's a future Hall of Fame athlete. So I'm I'm not a fan of her statement. I think she lacks a long-term vision for the yes. sport. There are great WTA players on the tour right now. Right, I agree. And uh, Iga also, this is a, a really interesting stat as well. Um, <clears throat> she has two titles. Anjabor made it to finals. Mm-hmm. So we have the proper one and two now, at least making it to finals. Absolutely. But Iga is taking it to Ons. So is this really the rivalry that will push Iga to stardom and saying, wow, she's really dominating? No, unfortunately, it's not going to be that. But I hope that this is an opportunity for Anjabor to not kneel or succumb to the ego presence and maybe it's an opportunity for her to ascend and become that second pillar on the tour that whenever Iga's not playing her best you still got to worry about Ange Jabor you know and it becomes a Rafa Federer type of effect that'd be awesome um obviously with time we'll see the Coco Goffs and a few other of the players maybe fill out that top five and we'll see a solid elite group of at least four to six in the WTA and then the tour is set for another 10 years. Yes, for you know? sure. So that'd be awesome to see it slowly fill out as we see Serena has just tapered out. Um, and we already have a new dominant athlete right in the, the wake of her leave. So Yes, uh, I, I saw a lot of holes in Iga's game this U.S. Open, mm-hmm. but nobody's able to exploit them. What did you see? I see the similar game that Osaka has. Mm-hmm. She has a beautiful cross-court shot, mm-hmm. but she struggles with the down-the-line shot. Mm-hmm. especially hard. So mm-hmm. if it's coming hard to her forehand, it's hard for her to redirect it down the line, just as Osaka does. Yeah. But nobody's able to exploit that. Yeah. So as long as nobody does, she's just going to keep dominating, which is sad because if you, if she were to be pushed, then we can say, okay, Iga is legit. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, she doesn't have that competition. But there are some interesting stats here. Mm. So obviously, Iga has three grand slams. She is the first player uh, being world number one since Serena Williams in 2014, who actually made it to a final at the U.S. Open. So it's been eight years that the number one player had not made it to the U.S. Open final. Wow. Are you shocked by that stat? A little bit. You know, the U.S. Open has become a bit of an anomaly slam because if you want me to be honest with you, I feel that on the ATP side, the U.S. Open is like, a young man's game. Anyone can have it. It's where breakthroughs happen. But on the WTA side, it's a little bit more protective of the higher seeds. And that's a little unusual for me. I wonder, what do you think that is? Is it? Are they using different balls? At, yes. I wonder if the ball has to do with it, because I can't think of a Barty lot of... already complained about that last year. Yeah, I feel like there aren't a lot of other common denominators between the U.S. or... I, I should say different. There's a lot more common denominators at the U.S. Open besides that and a few other things. But we're seeing a very different result every year from the men's side and the women's side. It seems that the women's most consistent slam where high seeds do go deep is the U.S. Open. Right. So it's a little backwards. Yes. Uh, I'm actually shocked that it's taken eight years for a world number one to make it to the final at the, yeah. in the WTA side. So that's very interesting. So this... This could prove her dominance. Mm-hmm. And also, she's the first player since Serena Williams in 2013 to win 
a Roland Garros and the French Open all in one year. Uh, U.S. Open and Roland Garros. See, yes, U.S. Okay. Open and Roland Garros. Yes, so that's uh, tough to do. Those are yes. very different events. Different events, different uh, surfaces. Yeah. So that's uh, very impressive by Iga for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, next topic is going to be: Is the U.S. Open the dominant Slam? Now the prize money says it is. Mm-hmm. At the Australian Open, the winner made two million dollars. Okay. The runner-up made one point three. Hmm. At the French Open, the winner made two point three million, so it was a uh, three hundred thousand more. Mm-hmm. And this is for both men and women. Yeah. At Wimbledon, it was two point five. Oof. Okay. At the U.S. Open, get ready for this: mm. three point eight million. Wow. So it's over a million and a half dollars more than Wimbledon. Jeez. What are your thoughts on the price discrepancy between the U.S. Open and all the slams? That would make me a little extra motivated to go deep at the U.S. Open. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. But, um, I mean, it also speaks to how much more loud we hear players saying the crowd is, how many more people are going to this event, how much more revenue is passing through this event. I think that the U.S. Open is clearly just generating more revenue in general. They're breaking records for spectatorship on television and in person. I think this U.S. Open was the most attended one in history. Yes. So a lot going on there. Uh, the champion made 300000 more this year at the U.S. Open than it did last year. Wow. And I, I don't want... Okay, maybe it's because also Serena, the fact that she... It Absolutely. was her last... So maybe that could be a reason why. We'll see if it happens but uh, next year. But still, over a million dollars more than Wimbledon. That's a lot. I mean, let's be honest here. Unless Federer is playing next year in the U.S. Open, it's not going to outdo this year with Serena retiring there. But this year, there's just a lot of amazing storylines on both ends of the spectrum. We had the eager run trying to protect her reputation. We had the... Coco Goff run. We had the Serena Williams retirement. We had the Nick Kyrgios storyline. We had the Francis Tiafo storyline. The Carlos Alcaraz storyline. There was just a lot of things happening mechanically throughout the entire event that made it so that from beginning to end, you're committed to watching. I agree for sure. Yeah, it was a great event. Last year, though, the U.S. Open also made more money than all of them as well. But yeah. it wasn't by that much. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting stat. Uh, moving on, we have uh, some Zverev news. Now, Davis Cup started. He was supposed to make his uh, return, but here he has another injury. Hmm. Uh, he has um, edema uh, problems. So that's basically fluid problems, hmm. and it can cause uh, problems with everyday life situations, but it's fixable within time. Okay. What are your thoughts on Zverev's newest injury? that's concerning i've never heard of that but uh that's that's terrible news but yeah i guess we at this point we just you know hope for the best for him i don't know if we're planning to talk about this later but you know in theory prior to the way 2022 went he was considered next in line to win a grand slam yes you know and it seems like he got cut in line and also maybe he took a few steps back in line after this event so I can only hope the best for him. It seems like the highlight of his year was 
hitting the umpire chair with a racket. That was it. You know, that's the peak moment of his year so far. So I hope that things change for him. I do think that he is a future slam winner. And, you know, he needs to come back in high spirits at 100% physically and just relax and play his game because it's it's slam worthy. Oh, for sure. Now we're going to have some Tiafo news. Uh, he is the first player since Arthur Ashe to make it a deep run in the at the U.S. Open uh, black uh, athlete. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, shout out to James Blake. You know, James Blake's just a victim of timing. You know, he, he succumbed to the Rafa and uh, Federer era. But James Blake was number six in the world, all right? Yes. Um, but, yeah, if James Blake was in this era here, I think that that Tiafo record means a whole lot less. But on the flip side, I do want to give a huge shout-out to Tiafo, who a lot of people have not paid attention to him or American Tennis in the last five years. But he has had very great performances sporadically throughout the last four or five years. Um, I remember him having a crazy match against Nadal, crazy match against Federer. I can't specifically think of a moment against Djokovic. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know if there was one. But, you know, he's really gone blow for blow with some of the big three and has no reason to fear anyone outside of the big three at all. He had a winning record versus Alcaraz. He's got a winning record against some of the guys that we say are up next. And at this point, I think it's more about him mastering consistency and rhythm in his tour performance. You know, that's what it's going to be really about. And hopefully, hopefully him having this new personal high ranking will help him with seating and being able to perform at events and tournaments and maybe have a little bit more pep in his step, you know, with this confidence he's going to have moving forward because he played a great tournament. He had one of the best performances against Alcaraz in yes. the whole slam. Right. He might've been the second best player on the men's side. Yes. Um, he's the first black player since uh, Ash in 72 to make a semifinal. Yeah, that's that's an impressive so, stat. So that's, that's huge. Maybe this can be the push for American tennis. Mm. Now, now, just a, a funny little anecdote. So Michelle Obama was at the match. Mm. And I obviously, I'm rooting for my boy, Carlitos Alcaraz. Alcaraz. And then all of a sudden, every time Tiafo did something good, they'd show Michelle Obama. <laughs> So I'm. Uh, I, I need to. I like Michelle Obama, but I need to stop watching her right now. So it's stop showing her because I know Tiapo's doing something right. Yep. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> that was a tough match for me because yes. I'm a big fan of both of those players. Yes. I love Tiapo's attitude. I think I've said this from day one. He's got funky strokes. Oh, for sure. Funky. Big but time. He's a great athlete. Yes. He's a great athlete. His a great movement's player. Uh, spectacular for yeah. sure. And he comes forward very well. He's aggressive. He understands. He has great instincts on the court. Other than Alcaraz, I would say that he's probably movement wise with Djokovic, Alcaraz. Yeah. He's there. Yeah. So we have more Tiafo news. Mm. Um, he is now Team Labor Cup. Wow. So I'm assuming that John Isner is uh, done because of his injury. Yeah. So Tiafo's replacing him. So with this new U.S. Open run and confidence, can he help Team World over Team Europe? Absolutely. I'm going to say that after watching the U.S. Open, for sure he can. I am a big proponent and believer in momentum and morale. I think that when players come off of events the way he came off of that performance at the Slam, you can expect him to ride that wave. Oh, for sure. You know, and 
Let me become an optimist for just about a, a minute or two here. Just Since when are you one? Let's go. Yeah, just for a moment or two. Let's really talk about it, okay? So obviously, the threat in Labor Cup sounds scary because Team Europe has the big four, right? Yes. But let's really talk about the big four. Who lost to Nadal? Or who did Nadal lose to? Tiafo. How's Federer's health? He's a little shaking. Scary. Yes. Um, and then we got to talk about Andy Murray, who was at the U.S. Open and didn't get as far as Tiafo. That's three of the big four there already being outperformed by Team World. That leaves just Djokovic, who I would obviously expect him to win his singles line and then be pretty quiet on the doubles line. Right. You know, so with that being said, this opens up a lot of opportunity for Team World to capitalize. If we had Kyrgios playing, oh, I would I would probably say that don't let the the reputations fool you. You might have a real match on your hands. But time will tell. It's going to depend a lot on the way doubles is played and who plays what line in singles because we need to kind of stack our team backwards if we're Team World. We need to put our stronger singles players outside of the Djokovic line and sacrifice that line. So it'll be interesting to see how things go there because for those of you who li- have never really watched the Labor Cup or don't understand it, you match up players against each other and it's supposed to be your best singles player plays their best singles player. But, you know, maybe we move things around a little bit and we sacrifice our weakest singles player versus Djokovic and try to take advantage and win the other lines. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get to the, the big jumps in the ATP rankings after the U.S. Open. So Tiafo jumps seven spots into the top 20. So he is now number 19 in the world. Beautiful. Hashing off with his run after beating Nick Kyrgios. He's up 13 spots to 18. Mm. Then you have uh, Cam Nori. He went up a spot to number eight. And then, of course, for the first time ever, you had the number one spot on the line plus your very first Grand Slam title with Casper Rudd. Are you going to show him some respect now? Respect him. I'll think about it. Number two in the world. And then, of course... The man himself, the man of the hour, Carlos Alcaraz, at number one. What are your thoughts on those ATP rankings? I have the rankings today with me. I'm just going to read the rankings to you, okay? Then let's talk about it a little bit. Because this is the most, almost, you can't, you couldn't name me the top 10 right now off the top of your head kind of list for the first time in probably the last six years. This is a very unusual top. 10 um at 10 already like what Hercotch. that's number 10 top 10 in the world wow he's not one of the top 10 players on the earth right now i'm sorry i disagree there i blame wimbledon though oh for sure big time. um moving forward number nine this one's fair rublev that's fair okay number eight this is fair even though it's kind of unusual nori yes nori is number eight he had the wimbledon semifinal run so. right Number seven, this is where it gets a little weird, but Novak Djokovic is number seven in the world. That's a top five player. Yes. Um, number six, makes sense, Sisipa, followed by Zverev, followed by Medvedev. Those are the usual candidates there. Then at number three, I, I want to ask you if you think this is accurate or not, Rafael Nadal. Do you think he's about the third best player in the world right now? No. Where would you rank him? One or two. One or two? Okay. I agree with that for the most part. 
And then, of course, at number two, Casper Ruud. And number one, Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz. I would like to ask you just a few questions first before I get your full reaction. Are there any players that immediately seem to be missing from the top ten to you? Uh, Felix was there. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's missing to me. Um, Joke, obviously, Djokovic is a little higher. Nadal mm-hmm. should be two or one. Mm-hmm. But Shapovalov, he, he had a 10, 11 for a while. Mm-hmm. So those are the guys that are missing to me. Yeah. Uh, where would you place Nick Kyrgios if you were to give him an accurate number ranking? Yeah, if it wasn't for Wimbledon, he'd be top eight. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I agree with Kyrgios probably being a top eight athlete right now. Um, for me, Yannick Sinner is probably in my top Sinner, ten as well. I, I completely forgot about him. Yeah, he's in my top ten as well. Probably ahead of Chapo, actually. I can see that. Yeah, I'd probably put him there. And for people who are just kind of surprising me, like you said, Casper Root is just... Respect he's him. Mr. Consistent. Mr. Consistent. He's... He's really only lost this year to great athletes. He made two finals. He made two finals, and his early exits are mostly to pretty great players. And they're in ATP 1000s. Yeah. So I, I'm not a big fan, but I'm also not a hater. Uh, so major shout-out and respect to Casper Okay, Rude. respect him. <laughs> yeah, there's some respect there. But what are you doing in my U.S. Open final? What are you doing there? Makes... Oh, it just disgusts me that he was in the final. I thought we were going to have a Marin Cilic moment. And I like Cilic more than Kasparud personally. That's a personal preference, but I like Cilic's game more. So I was a little shaken up by that final. Really scared me. If Carlos Alcaraz, Carlito didn't win, I was going to be very, very upset with men's tennis. (laughs) This was going to be a totally different episode. I'm in a very good mood, though. Uh, so very, very big shout out to both those guys. But yeah, it's it's amazing to see our 19 year old world number one U.S. Open champion. Yes, for sure. Uh, to me, he, he was right place, right time. I'm talking about Casper Rudd here. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, at the French Open, his draw was not uh, loaded at all. You yeah. had Nadal, Djokovic, Alcaraz. In one side of the bracket. Yeah. So he took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rune, Holger Rune was his big competition. Yeah. Sissy Pass was gone early. So he definitely benefited there. Yeah. Not to put Rudd down. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, you capitalize when you can, you know? Right. We've seen Federer breeze through a draw and we've seen Nadal in the pool of death, you know? Right. So these moments happen to athletes on both ways. Right. And then at the US Open, same thing and then obviously with Kyrgios out uh early and he was supposed to play Kyrgios uh, if he would have been hashing off mm-hmm. and Kyrgios beat Rudd at Indian Wells yeah that probably would have been a different story yeah but he took advantage of his draw for sure and now the main event here we have the new world number one Carlos Alcaraz he is the youngest player ever at 19 years to be world number one before i go on to all these insane stats what are your thoughts on that this guy has been really just making a lot of standout records and things happen in his career already at 19 the fact that he was able to pull off a u.s open and become world number one 
at an in a period where this should have belonged to Medvedev, Zverev, Sisipa, Nick Kyrgios, all of these guys should have won this slam first before Carlos did. Medvedev did. Well, what I mean is this slam okay. specifically, gotcha. you know, this moment. But you know, at the end of the day, this kid ascended and the rest of the tour knew this was going to happen. This wasn't a surprise he came out of nowhere moment for a 19-year-old player. And that's pretty impressive to say, you know, for a player to be 19 years old and people aren't surprised that he won a slam, that speaks crazy about what his future holds, you know. Um Nadal, Zverev, Nick Kyrgios, I don't know if you're going to bring that up later, later but Tsitsipas, all of these guys have said that's a slam future winner. That's a future world number 1. This kid is the future. This kid's a threat. This kid has all the tools. People have known it since he was 17. So it's really incredible to see it happening before our eyes. And if the tour doesn't create a real rival outside of Yannick Sinner, we might see in our lifetime someone who overtakes the big three's records. Oh, for sure. Now, I remember a couple of episodes ago, I was saying that his first 100 victories, he was 75 and 25, which is better than the big three. Mm-hmm. You were all, nah, I don't know. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. But now that he's won a slam. It's different. Do you care now? I care now. That This is different. This is two consecutive weeks of high-level tennis, multiple five-setters, and multiple excuses and reasons and respectable reasons to not take this slam. There were moments where if he wouldn't have made it through a match, I would have went, he played his ass off. It's okay. But no, he he had a few slight dips and then bounced back mid-match and made it happen. This kid's the real deal. What I like about him is that he made some bonehead plays, mm-hmm. but it's as if it didn't even phase him. Yeah. Uh, he, he went for a uh, drop shot backhand against, um, I want to say Tiafo, mm-hmm. and which pretty much cost him the set. Yeah. And it's as if it didn't even matter. Yeah. He bounced back. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, just to prove his more cyborg mentality, he is supposedly about to play Davis Cup. Mm-hmm. He just won the U.S. Open, played three, five sets in a row. He's 19, man. What are your thoughts on that? I think that we're so used to the big three dominating where it's as if, oh, he just came off a slam. He needs rest. We haven't seen these young, young guys who... Do you remember when Dominic Team was playing 26, 27 tournaments in a year? Right. He 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 didn't even win his way to a top 10 ranking. He played his way to a right. top 10 ranking. Exactly. Carlos Alcaraz has that level of stamina, energy, and youth in him. I'm not even surprised if he's in a tournament right now. You know, and to my understanding, he's about to play another tournament right now. You know, so... This is awesome. It's exciting to see someone that young who's ready to just play all year long at a high level. Um, I'm super excited for the first time that he got a slam and we didn't get the, I feel like there's nothing left for me to do. Oh, my yes, mental Dominic health. Team, I'm yes. uninspired. Right. Or even Nick Kyrgios is, if I had won Wimbledon, I don't know if I would have kept going. What are you talking about? What are you saying? Right. Alcaraz said, I want more. I want more. Take me to Davis Cup. I love this kid. Yeah, that's a love lot of respect it. for sure. Big respect. And it's sad that that's impressive now. Right. Because that used to be a given. 
What oh happened? yes, big time, big time. You know, you would think that you used to think back in your head, Stan Wawrinka, for example. Yes, he got a taste of one slam and went, "Oh, I want more of this," and he went out and got it. Dominic Team got a taste of one slam and went, "I can't play anymore." Medvedev, I've accomplished what I had to do. Yeah, Medvedev got a slam and now it's the little boy is gone. He died. Yeah, in Australia. What the heck yes. are we talking about, man? Get out there and play. You know, so. It's really nice to see someone who's got the fire in the stomach still after the win. It's really exciting. So now to give a little quick shout out and mention Nick Kyrgios. Mm. He did say pre-tournament. Carlos Alcaraz is the favorite to win the U.S. Open. And if anybody's going to win outside the big Nadal, for example, it Mm. was going to be him. Mm. Uh, Should we have taken some betting advice and bet pre-tournament on Alcaraz? I'll tell you one thing. I'm listening to Kyrgios at the Australian Open. If he says anyone besides himself's winning it, money, money, all in, all in, big time. For sure. Now, here are some more stats. So, in that Chilich match, uh, it was three hours, 54 minutes, mm-hmm. the longest nighttime match ever at the U.S. Open. Then with um, uh, Yannick's, not, not long, as far as uh, time, Yeah, it ended at. 350 something yeah yes latest latest match. latest yeah. thank you uh yannick center five hours 15 minutes so he's already on court almost nine hours and it's only two mm-hmm. uh, rounds and then tiafo four hours 19 minutes jeez so he's over uh 12 uh hours on court with one day rest and then sad to say but red was the easiest match of them all yeah. So that's pretty impressive by Alcaraz. Now here's I did some digging. That is not the first time it was done. Hmm. Stefan Edberg did the same thing. Really? He played three uh five setters in a row. Uh quarters up uh, I'm sorry, fourth round quarters and semis and then in the final breeze through. Must be nice. So it's not the first time that it's done, but it's still very impressive. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Uh, it was amazing and honestly expected. You know, most of my favorites for the U.S. Open were earlier in his draw or earlier in the draw in general exited. So if you were to ask me who to bet my money on between Casper and Carlos, all in on Carlos, all in on Carlos. So it went as exactly as I thought it would. And, you know, sometimes that's just the nature of the bracket. It remind, This reminded me a lot of the David Ferrer versus Nadal at the French Open final. Right. You know, both guys are respectable, but one guy's just different. One guy's just different. You know, the semifinal was the final. I think he played Djokovic, Djokovic that year. Djokovic, yes. You know, and Nadal took out Djokovic in a match we didn't know where it was going to go. And then the final, everyone kind of just fell asleep. You know, str- I think it was straight sets. So it's one of those situations where the final was the semifinal. I think that if... Alcaraz hadn't uh, had three five setters in a row. The betting odds would have been way different. Yeah. It was only two ten to win a hundred on Alcaraz. Wow. Normally it would have been three hundred, three fifty. Yeah. But just because of the three five setters in a row, it made the big difference there. And now the last part, which is, this is all in one year, plus his U.S. Open. He is the youngest Miami and Madrid men's champion of ever. Mm-hmm. He is the youngest to defeat both Nadal and Djokovic in a year. He is the youngest 500 champion ever. 
He is the youngest U.S. Open champ since Pete Sampras in 1990. Jeez. And he's the youngest Grand Slam champ since Nadal in 2005. And of course, the youngest world number one ever. So what are your thoughts on Carlos Alcaraz? Future Hall of Famer, living and breathing amongst us. The question is, will Yannick Sinner become the next Nadal? That's the question. Um, is Yannick Sinner going to become the next Nadal or the next Burdich? That's what I'm wondering. Because they are rivals. Big time. Um, and Yannick Sinner kind of just beat him. Yes. Just beat him. He beat him at Wimbledon. Um, and it's funny because their match was called Match of the Year. Right. This year. And on top of that, they had a viral rally practice session at the U.S. Open that we just watched. Right. Uh, where their practice session looked like an all-out war. And then their match looked identical. So I'm really excited to see how that rivalry develops and to see the storyline of those two players. And if anyone else is able to enter that storyline, maybe a late entry from another, the future Djokovic of the, the tennis world. Because, you know, maybe there's another big three in the making. And right. we're in the very first phases of it. So this is awesome. So since you mentioned it, uh, you just said that uh, you expected uh, the generation of Sissy Pass, Medvedev, Zverev, to win right now yeah are you shocked that the new wave your sinners your alcarazes were there and they had a better chance to win you know i don't like cc uh, pa i don't like him mental his mentality or his personality uh i'm a big medvedev fan but i do think that his game is very scrappy and alcaraz has the type of game that will swallow that Yes. I really do think that. Um, and who does that leave? Zverev? You know, um, it just seems like we're getting another pack of Nishikori's, Milos. you know, Milos. You know, it's another group of guys just getting swallowed up by a generation again. Right. So it's unfortunate, you know, that that class of guys wasn't able to make it happen or figure it out. But it might be too late. Right. It might be because I don't really see them having an answer for Djokovic still or Alcaraz as he develops. Even Nadal. Yeah. Or Nadal. You're right. Or yes. Nadal. You know, and you're going to blink and there's not going to be an answer for Sinner either. Right. That's what's going to happen. So they're sandwiched between two Hall of Fame generations. Exactly. And the only one who, to me, seems to have some type of spark of chance is Nick Kyrgios. Which is weird. Feels weird even saying that. But <laughs> that seems to be the guy whose game is so itself that it can penetrate on the right surfaces. You know, maybe there's a Wimbledon in his future. Now, they were actually saying, the announcers were actually saying that this is probably the best U.S. Open match ever. Mm. The Alcaraz um, center match. Yeah. They were comparing it to the Pete Sampras-Andre Agassi uh, match. Really? It, it didn't go to five sets, mm -hmm. but it had four tiebreakers. Which is crazy. Yes, it was crazy. in 2001 or two. Yeah. And that was an epic mm -hmm. battle. So to be compared to that match, that says a lot. Yeah. So uh, unless you have anything else to add, uh, I hope you guys were entertained. That's going to be it. Um, ATP, congratulations, Garlito, and all of the U.S. Open winners. Especially, yes, we'll see you guys next time.